and welcome to a special edition of the Wrestling Outsiders podcast. I am your host, Emerson Whitner, joined as always by my co-host, my brother, Brian Whitner. Brian, how are you doing this evening? I am doing quite well. My phone's slowly getting fixed, so hopefully it'll be fixed in the next 24 hours. Awesome. Well, Brian, tonight we are joined on the line by a former ECW manager and announcer, Mr. Joel Gertner. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And if you don't mind, I will introduce myself again. It is I, the lyrical miracle, the sexual intellectual, the cunning linguist, and the quintessential stud muffin. Joel, I have been with Mama Citas in the back of Low Riders. I have been high in the mountains doing chicks in hand gliders. And when it comes to your mama's pastrami, I am a great salami hider. But tonight, I'm on the line with the Wrestling Outsiders podcast, Gertner. Keep listening and have yourself an eargasm. Wow. If I was Cyrus, this is where I'd now walk in and yell at you and challenge you to a fight. But, yeah, it's... Excuse me! Uh, well, uh, we want to welcome you and thank you so much. Um, and we're going to start, you know, pretty much the same question we ask everyone. You know, who were your favorite wrestlers growing up and memories of being a fan? Wow. Uh, so memories of uh, being a fan, uh, and that will give maybe a glimpse into, um, you know, the wrestlers that I choose because they're from the time where I was first watching wrestling regularly and when I was young. Uh, and obviously before I got involved actively. Um, but growing up as a fan, I remember starting to watch um, right around the time of syndication uh, and the nationalization, um, you know, right around Hogan got the title in January of 84. And I honestly, for as much wrestling as I've seen and for as into it as I've been for decades now, I actually can't pinpoint um, a calendar month or even really an exact year, date, anything episode of TV, nothing like that. Because when I started watching, I got so engrossed in it that I would watch, obviously, every week as it was happening, current. And then I would also go ahead and Coliseum Video was starting to pick up steam. And it was showing stuff, you know, from one or two decades prior. So as I was watching the current product of the time, I was also starting to learn and go back in time. So I was kind of going backwards and forwards at the same time. And as such, I don't remember exactly when I started watching, but I was 8, 9, or 10, and uh, it was sometime around 84 or 85, I think, maybe late 83. Um, And it was a lot of fun. You know, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, That's where I'm talking from tonight. And uh, so a big fan of World Wrestling Federation. Um, We eventually, you know, um, would wind up getting other products uh, certainly if you had cable. Uh, if you didn't have cable yet in the mid-'80s, uh, there was actually a UHF channel 
uh, called U68, I think was out of New Jersey. And they showed a different territory uh, every night from 6 to 7 on the weekdays. So, yeah, you know, watch WWF, watch that stuff, uh, started reading magazines, then started getting uh, newsletters, inside newsletters. Uh, and then eventually, uh, around the time that I was, uh, around my 16th birthday, when I started uh, as a performer, uh, and when I started kind of actively, you know, working uh, in around uh, the wrestling business for, for two or three years before that, maybe uh, I had been a, a tape trader, um, had a small newsletter myself, had a telephone hotline uh, that gave news, um, but started uh, kind of, you know, working as a uh, ring announcer, referee, manager, uh, right around September of 91, right around my 16th birthday. As far as the wrestlers who I loved growing up the most, um, I would say well, my absolute favorite is Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, I enjoyed the heels, uh, by and large, more so than the baby faces. Uh, and I appreciated Jake for his, uh, his very creative, verbally, uh, had great psychology, was a great performer, you know, was just a great actor, was great at conveying, uh, you know, what you needed to know about his character. You know, didn't simply rely on a nickname or on his appearance, uh, his likeness. He didn't rely on music. He didn't rely on any specific one or two things. Uh, it was really a package deal, and even if, uh, you know, they wouldn't have called him the snake, everybody would have known exactly what kind of character he was. In psychology, you know, I, I would come to learn later on as I got older and as I got more involved in the business uh, was impeccable, obviously. Um, other, you know, I loved color commentators. I loved people that were brash and I loved talkers that were saying the kind of stuff that you could only hear on professional wrestling. Uh, maybe with the exception of the Morton Downey Jr. show for whoever might be, uh, knowledgeable about that. But, you know, aside from Piper's pit, I mean, there was nowhere to go to hear, you know, that kind of stuff. Somebody just being so inflammatory and so abrasive and such, you know, a jerk. Um, and it was, you know, it was interesting because, you know, you didn't really get it uh, anywhere else. You know, maybe by the mid-80s, like, you know, here and there you'd see it in an action movie. But, you know, on weekly television, you wouldn't. So I, I love guys like Piper, uh, Jesse Ventura. Loved all the managers as well. So uh, Bobby Heenan, uh, Paulie Dangerously, Jim Cornette, uh, Jimmy Hart. Uh, basically all those guys, everybody, all of the managers from the 80s when I was growing up. And then as far as the wrestlers go, you know, aside from Jake, I, I liked kind of the eclectic, you know, the, the freaks that kind of, you know, the same way I liked the talkers for saying the kind of stuff that you couldn't hear anywhere else. I liked the guys who kind of looked like, with the exception of, you know, something animated or a Saturday morning cartoon, you know, like a Captain Caveman or a Marvin the Martian or something like that, Gossamer. You know, you'd never see people that look like this walking down the street. So for that reason, you know, big fan of guys like Kamala, uh, George the Animal Steel, and The Missing Link. Awesome. Nice. Um, can you tell us how you broke into ECW? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'd been uh, taking bookings for about four years uh, in the early and mid-90s uh, mm -hmm. through the, the end of high school and uh, the first couple of years of college. And ECW, I'd gone to a few of the shows um, and I'd been watching it, uh, following it in the newsletters, uh, and trying to watch it as best I could uh, from upstate New York where I was going to school. Um, it was on 
MSG. And uh, the, sports, the sports bars up there, I think, had Sports Channel Philly anyway. So even if it wouldn't have been on MSG, I would have seen it. But, um, yeah, just watching it, you know, went to a few shows, following it. Uh, knew some of the guys, uh, a couple of the guys that were there at the time. Um, and that's it. Went to a show. Um, met Paul Heyman. Told him that I had been a fan of his growing up, an admirer of his work. Uh, had grown up listening to radio shows uh, co-hosted by John Arezzi and Vince Russo that were, you know, beaming out of Long Island. And, you know, just just let him know that, you know, I, you know I'd been following his work and, and basically a big fan. And told him, you know, I, you have a show coming up in Middletown, New York. And uh, I go to school nearby in Ithaca, which is not really super nearby, you know. But, uh, but I got the job done, I guess. Um, and I told him, you know, if it's the case where your ring announcers and timekeepers, you know, if that's a local Philadelphia crew, and if they're not going to be making that trip, and you'd otherwise, you know, either be looking for somebody or just, you know, kind of, you know, giving it to the first person that asked, mm-hmm. and just kind of let it be known, then, you know, I'm asking now, and, you know, I'd love the opportunity, and, you know, is that something? And I told them, you know, that I'd done some ring announcing um, and that kind of thing, and that I'd been doing it for about four years. And he just kind of looked at me and said, you want it? And I said, yeah. And he said, you got it. Be there by five. Nice. Uh, and that was it. And so I tell people that be there by five turned into like five and a quarter. <laughs> um, now you mentioned this, but some people may not know that while you were working for ECW, you were also attending Cornell University. How difficult was it juggling working for ECW while still going to school? Um, so difficult that I chose to kind of make a decision uh, in many ways consciously and in, in the ways that weren't consciously, you know, I guess subconsciously. Um, I either, you know, whether it was me making the decision entirely or whether in part it was made for me. Uh, but no, you know, Cornell and I had come to a, an agreement that this is something that I obviously enjoyed doing and was doing well enough at, and it would be, you know, enough of a full-time thing uh, that if I was going to revisit my college days and getting my bachelor's degree, uh, then they would have no problem with that based on my recent attendance and and test results and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it was basically that. It was me choosing that I would rather leave school, go to ECW, only wish that I could have the longevity there that I did and regret doing it, which I don't, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. I could not leave school and regret not doing it. So, so yeah, so, uh, bam. So, you know, left Cornell, ran off to the circus, so to speak, and (laughs) obviously no regrets. And, you know, time in my life, I mean, really just, you know, uh, you can only imagine, I mean, five years in ECW with with all of that talent and with all of those great people and with all of those funny people and with all the wise people and kind people and friendly people. It, it was just, it was really like kind of a family that you got to choose, kind of like an extended family um, and a brotherhood and um, just a great time, you know, and, and for me especially because for me, you know, it was the first half of my 20s. I was really young and uh, sort of grow up like that you know, on the road two, three, four days a week uh, and being on uh, on a little bit of television as well 
And, uh, you know, it, it was just a blast. I mean, it was, you know, a roll of the dice that thankfully went well. Awesome. Um, did you ever thought of becoming a wrestler, or were you just happy being a commentator and a, a manager? <laughs> I, uh, I, took, I took a session, maybe two, probably just one, of wrestling training as a wrestler inside the ropes, um, you know, doing the physical stuff that a wrestler and not a manager would do. And uh, I think I knew going in that, that well, I obviously knew that that's not where my bread was buttered. I knew that that yeah. wasn't you know, where, where I was going to contribute to the wrestling industry. You know what I mean? I, you know, didn't think I was going to be, you know, the next, you know, the next great, you know, superstar coming out of the heart dungeon or the next, you know what I mean? I, I knew that, you know, the wrestling end of it um, physically was not for me. I did it. Um, I did it, I think, because as a commentator, well, I mean, you certainly want to at least, you always want to do as much as you can. And after that session, I think I realized that I couldn't do anymore. But you want to do as much as you can, if anything, also, just to kind of get a sense of what it's like so that you can describe it better. You know, like a lot of times I tell people that it helps me, like if I'm doing an internet pay-per-view or whatever the case may be, and I'm doing color commentary and analysis, and I want to really paint a picture of what it's like for, you know, a certain wrestler to be in there. Let's say the wrestler happens to be in the second half of his career, right? Let's say he's in his 40s, and he just did something spectacular. So I'll, you know, when I go so far as to say, you know, think of this guy, look what you just saw. He's in his 40s, and look what he just did. You might be sitting there on your couch, and you're 25 years old, in awe, because you could never imagine in your wildest dreams that you, 15 years from now, or even today, could ever do something, blah, 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 blah. But what really makes it special and what really puts a shine on it is when I can throw in that for the average person off the street who's never been in a wrestling ring before, Mm. for you to go in and just take the ropes for 15 or 20 minutes and for you to take 150 back you're going to be sore as hell. You're going to have wealth just from trying to run the ropes because your body's yeah. not conditioned to it. So, you know, when I can say stuff like that where, you know, if you think in your wildest dreams you could ever pull off what you've just seen, then absolutely don't try this at home because even the basics would have you running around your living room with your tongue hanging. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think the fact that I went through it and actually did it lends credibility mm-hmm to where when I make a statement like that, people can't, while they're listening to it, pull focus from what they're watching and what they're hearing and say to themselves, well, he has no right to say anything like that. How would he know? So the more people know that it is something that I at least tried, you know, the better. And I try to put that over as much as possible, obviously without, you know, taking attention away from why people are watching the scene first thing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, speaking of injuries, uh, way back when, about 18 years ago, at Barely Legal, you took total elimination from Cronus and Saturn and have worn a neck brace pretty much ever since due to the horrible, horrible injuries suffered at the hands of them. How's your neck holding up? <laughs> <laughs> neck is uh neck's okay. Neck is fine. Um it, you know, back then it was a neck brace because of total elimination. 
Now it's not anymore. Recently, like a year ago, I got medically cleared. So now I still oh. wear it, right? It's a, it, it is basically a soft cervical collar that I still wear. That it's inside like a pattern stocking, and it's got like a snazzy bow tie on it. But it's mm-hmm. not um, actually in practice. It's not a neck uh, brace anymore. What it actually is, it's a uh, European style cunnilingus neck support, and uh, right. yes, and it works <laughs> wonderfully. <laughs> Uh, well, we are a PG-13 show, so, you know. Thank God for that. Sir. Everything's good. Um, <laughs> if I keep talking I like that, might have needed... to be an MC-17, so. Yeah, I was going to say, I might have needed to raise the rating for this one. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, yeah. So I always compare, and, uh, and by the sounds of it, you probably got the idea from it, was Cowboy Bob Orton's suspect arm that he had his cast for three or four years, Eight. and it's still active. Yep. Yeah, and Iron Mike Sharp, too. Iron Mike Sharp had a uh, forearm uh, support, uh, kind of like a um, like a shin guard, but for your arm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, and, and, you know, and he didn't let that kind of uh, disability ha- uh, hold him back. You know, he, he was still in there, you know, uh, kicking butt a lot of the time. He, he should be given an award in 2015 for, you know, from the handicapped community. You send them. Um, <laughs> in case anybody, in case people like you know, because you can fast forward, right? iTunes or whatever it is, you can be like, flip, flip, flip. This sounds terrible. Let me fast forward three minutes. So just in case anybody picks it up there and out of context, you send that. Yep. <laughs> that is oh, Emerson, not for- Brian. Emerson said that. Yes, that's a new one for the best stuff show. Uh, <laughs> Brian, take it from here. Um, now you're known for your uh, famous nicknames that you get, that you give yourself in your innuendos. Um, did you come up with them, or did someone actually help you with them? Um, no, ninety nine times out of a hundred, I came up with them. Uh, sometimes I'd hear something, and uh, you know, then it would basically become kind of a variation on a theme of that. Um, but uh, no, it, it was basically the Gertnerisms were Gertnerisms, which is great and fun. Uh, I'll tell you, though, the first one that I ever used uh, in 97, I think, right? Um, we're talking about barely legal and everything. So right around that time when I started doing Gertnerisms, uh, the first one that I used was uh, just like Rubik's Cube. The more you play with it, the harder it gets. That was actually something when I was maybe 10 years old. Um, there was a couple of series of, like, dirty joke books that were running around. Like there was truly tasteless jokes, and then there was one other, you know, um, line of joke books or whatever. And inside one of those, like, truly tasteless jokes, volume seven or whatever, um, was, uh, you know, how is a penis like a Rubik's Cube? The more you play with it, the harder it gets. Uh, so I don't know, if it, you know, I don't know where it got to them from, but that's where it got to me. And, uh, you know, at, at first the plan was not to do these, elaborate Gertnerisms that are basically, you know, became like hip-hop lyrics, but without like a backbeat, you know, because they basically became like two or three minutes long and, you know, 16 lines and four stanzas or whatever. But initially it was just, you know, let me make this Rubik's Cube joke and let me see if I can get some heat for it. And it worked. Yeah. So I kept doing it and they kept getting more and more elaborate. Well, speaking of heat, uh, you know, 
some memories and stories of inciting near riots with the Dudley Boys. Wow. Um, yeah, the Dudleys had a special kind of heat to where even, I mean, you know, we were based in Philly, right? And Philly's a heel town, mm-hmm. you know? Like, don't let City of Brotherly Love fool you. I think that's more irony than anything else. But, like, instead, I think Philly's better represented by one of the ECW major early-on shows titles, Hostile City Showdown, right? Because it's also a hostile city. And it's a heel city for wrestling because, you know, you'd go to, in the early 90s, you'd go to, like, anything. But, I mean, I know people have gone to WCW shows and they've seen, you know, the opening match and second match and third match, kind of white meat, baby face type gimmicks and characters get booed relentlessly out of the building. And that's just, that's the Philly style, you know what I mean? Choke slamming Santa Claus. That's the Philly style. So a good heel is well appreciated in Philly and can even become something of a baby face. You know, I guess, you know, if, if you're listening in New York City and you're more familiar with, with that part of the world than Philly, you know, 100 miles away. But uh, as far as that part of the wrestling world, like I know, you know, I remember being at the Garden when I was younger and Doink at the time in his first run was, you know, they were building him up as, you know, big-time heel. And at the Garden, they loved him, you know? And Philly was that way. They they just loved heels. So for the Dudleys to be getting over, appreciated, taken seriously, legitimate, and at the same time legitimately hated with heat that was real heat that was not, you know, go home and burn your boots or get off my television heat. That's meaningful, and especially in and around Philly. And it means we were doing something good. And, you know, it didn't hurt that eventually not only there was me talking, but then after you were done listening to five minutes of my nonsense, then Bubba would start cutting longer promos as time went on. Uh, There's the fact that ECW is so well-known for its music. Our soundtrack was such a big part. Everybody was always... You know, couldn't wait to hear Man in the Box and couldn't wait to hear Enter Sandman, all of the different entrances and all of the different music. We didn't have music. We came out to silence. We came out yeah. to well, well, well. And and it was just so different that um, I guess that's what made it work because it, it it's tough in a town like that to have whatever it was, two and a half years, maybe longer, somewhere around that. But for us to have been doing it um, for two and a half years or so and for it to stay relevant and stay, you know, viable and as heated as it was, is, you know, just a blessing at the time. Now, uh, we mentioned him earlier, but uh, what was uh, some of your memories of working with Cyrus and then eventually the match that you two had? Yeah. Uh, working with Cyrus was fun, and Cyrus was a great guy, and I- smart guy, um, and I love a challenge, and I want to work with the best people and the best talent out there, and mm-hmm. I want to be pushed to, to, you know, stay on my toes. So, you know, I was watching Cyrus's work in the World Wrestling Federation while I was on the road and doing the ECW stuff, and I was a fan of it. I liked it. So when I saw that he was going to be with us regularly, I had hoped that our paths would cross. Uh, and they did. 
So it was a blast. Um, he's a great guy. He taught me how to play cribbage. So, you know, before we would go out there and excoriate each other, you know, on the one side of the curtain, uh, the only cribbage games I think that I've ever played in my life have been played against Don Callis. So uh, there's that. But, um, no, nah, just a really, really good guy. And as far as the match, um, nothing to tell, uh, you know, it, really. I mean, nothing in the sense of, you know, I didn't get any special training for it, aside from what I already knew from, you know, what I did in wrestling school when I was 16, and then all of the mm-hmm. bumps and finishers that I'd been taking as a manager. So, you know, aside from those skills and tools, I really didn't, you know, it's not like I was, you know, at, at the Team Taz Dojo five days a week for five weeks. That didn't happen. Um, but creatively and, you know, concept-wise, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I knew going in and I pitched it that I wanted my secret weapon, I wanted my strategy to be that I was going to go in with the spirit of being White Kamala 2000. <laughs> and, I, and I wanted my exercise regimen to be uniquely composed of eating Lucky Charms in preparation. And... um you know, just stuff like that, and and the rest is history. Um, and that was actually, if I recall right, the last match they ever aired on the TNN show, appropriately enough, you know. Um, it's a blessing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a trivia question um, that, that I think is cool. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I was... The match that we had, the Dudleys, with the Eliminators, where I took total elimination um, and wound up in the neck brace, was the first ever ECW pay-per-view match. It was the opening match on our first pay-per-view. Um, I was involved, obviously, co-hosting with Joey from the very beginning, you know, um, with the TNN show. And then you're right, the last match to ever air on the last TNN show um, was the recap of me versus Cyrus. And then I was also involved at the end, at the very end, uh, on the pay-per-view where, um, with Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn, uh, where I came out during the match and, and helped with interference and stuff like that. So a couple of different beginnings uh, and a couple of different ends, you know, for the ECW trivia books. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, now... Do you know why uh, – now, WWE and TNA both did their own ECW reunion pay-per-views, um, and you came in, and I thought you did a great job on both shows, but uh, neither time you were picked up by the company. Do you know why this was, or were you just going in knowing ahead of time, this is one shot, let me just go have some fun with it? I, I, missed, I missed a bit of it. You're talking about the WWE reunion show in 2005. And what was the other uh, show? Yeah, and then again, you did, I believe you did, the TNA reunion show in 2010. In 2010, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, why you, wasn't I picked up either time? I don't know. I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure exactly. Um, with WWE, um, I, I was told to do um, something that I go ahead and tell myself to do every time that I go through the curtain anyway, which is to treat it like an audition. Um, and I did, um, and I guess it just, you know, it, it wasn't right at the time. Um, the ECW brand extension, uh, the brand revival, actually came on the heels of the 06 show that I wasn't at, um, but the 05 show, I guess, you know, it just, 
you know, it just didn't go that way. And, you know, I was never really told that there was anything more to it than that. So I wouldn't be able to, I guess there's not really an answer to the question, or at least I don't know what it would be. Um, for TNA, um, I don't know. TNA, I, I had been with them uh, from the beginning. Uh, I'm a TNA original that did the first two or three weekly pay-per-views um, and went back and did the reunion at a great time. Um, and I, I don't know. I, you know, again, um, I think they, you know, they did bring in a few people somewhat regularly or at least for the next uh, couple of months or a few weeks. Um, but that seemed, I think it was a handful of people, maybe six, seven people. Um, and I don't know, I guess maybe, you know, somebody who was a manager type, um, they felt, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough, you know, couldn't tell you, but I can tell you that, you know, working the WWF show, the WWE show in 05, uh, and the TNA show were j just, I mean, again, highlights of my career, you know, because, you know, as I you know mentioned earlier, I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn, and the first live event that I ever went to for pro wrestling was January 86 uh, at the Garden, Hogan versus Savage, uh, Savage winning by DQ in the main event. So to be able to make my debut for them, um, you know, within blocks of the Garden, and, you know, I mean, you know, in my hometown, you know, where, where I kind of, I don't know, I, I think I took a cab home, you know, so I didn't have to stay in a hotel, I didn't have to have a flight the next morning. It was just when doing it in your hometown, it makes it even more special. And learning the WWE style of production and kind of just, you know, creative, um, it, that ship runs a lot differently than ECW ran uh, TNA as well. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's always great to be able to work in new places, uh, especially when you can work with, you know, some of the old people that you've worked with in the past that are, you know, friends and family and that kind of thing. Nice. Now, are you still involved in the wrestling business? I am, yeah. I'm uh, still actively involved um, in, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, still involved as a performer. Um, still taking bookings as a quintessential stud muffin. Uh, and, you know, as a manager, as a guest commissioner, as a ring announcer, um, any guest referee. Um, teaching seminars. I uh, have one coming up at the Monster Factory uh, outside Philadelphia in South Jersey, in Paulsboro, New Jersey. Uh, that's on Saturday, August 8th. Um, have a podcast starting up in a week or so. Uh, my own podcast, uh, The 69-Minute Eargasm. Um, the 69-Minute Eargasm is going to be brought to you by Cult of Kayfabe. And, uh, so keep an eye out for that later in July. But, yeah, still keep busy. You know, con consult. Um, you know, with other promoters and their promotions and kind of, you know, pass along, you know, advice and, and work on their behalf, you know, help them book people and that kind of thing. Um, just whatever I can do. You know, when, once you're in the business, uh, by and large, most people tend to stay in it because, you know, it's, you know, this is something that I would say 95% at least of people uh, are doing it because they love it. You know, they're doing it, you know, not because it's what they have to do to pay the bills, but they're doing it mm -hmm. because if they were a lottery millionaire, this is what they'd be paying to be doing. So, so yeah, definitely still involved. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, you know, love to, love to get out there and, uh, and be the quintessential sub -bus. There's nothing more fun than that. We want to thank you so much for doing our show tonight. Um, before we let you go, 
Um, do you have anything else you'd like to plug, your social media accounts or any other shows you might have coming up? Yeah, thanks. Um, on the social media end of things, um, my fan page uh, that you can like at Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash QSM Joel Gertner uh, with QSM standing for quintessential stud muffin. Uh, the Twitter is going to be MXW Wrestling. Uh, the Instagram is quintessential stud muffin. Uh, unless you decide you'd rather follow my cat, and then she is little kitty chaos. Um, what else? We've got the seminar coming up on August 8th at the world-famous Monster Factory in Paulsboro, New Jersey. Enrollment is just $30, and it will be a four-hour symposium called Everything But the Wrestling. It is an outside-the-ropes seminar, but it will uh, teach you or um, give you a different way of looking at uh, everything that you would need to be a pro wrestling personality uh, other than the stuff right in between the four ropes. Um, and, and that's about it. And thanks to the folks at Cult of Kayfabe, I finally uh, have my own podcast coming out, and uh, I'll be letting people know through social media what the date is for that. And that's going to be the 69-minute eargasm, or uh, 69ME, 69ME for short. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing that. I've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Well, that's awesome, and I look forward to hearing that. Um, and again, thank you so much for listening, and, you know, I hope you have a great night. Thanks a lot, Whitner Brothers. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, Joel. A lot of fun. You got it, buddy. Thanks. Later. Bye. All righty, Brian. So that was Joel yeah. Gertner. Joel yes, now before Gertner, we ladies get and gentlemen. Before we get into our weekly Tough Enough review, and by weekly Tough Enough review, I mean Emerson's weekly Tough Enough rant, uh, earlier this week, I spoke with my brother over the phone, and here's what he had to say. Well, what's your opinion on pie? What kind of pie? Any kind of pie. Pie is good. Care to elaborate? Pie is very good. That's not elaborating. That's adding one word. Pie is good, either warm or cold. It is very good with ice cream on top of it. What are your favorite kinds of pie? Cherry, apple, pecan. Ew. Cherry and... What are your least favorite kinds of pie? I don't really have a least of two, uh, two pies. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, want to say anything else? No. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Shoe fly pie is a molasses pie uh, considered traditional among the Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, it uh, reminds people of the treacle tart, which if you've read Harry Potter, it, you've read that often enough and wondering what the heck that is. It's a shoe fly pie. Um, so, Brian, how in the world do you like pecan pie? I, I don't know. I, I like I, I'm, I like like peanuts, walnuts. You know, I'm kind of like a, that. I like those kind of nuts. But so yeah, it was very good. Alrighty. So, um, 
since uh, you know we had Joel on, and you know again, th- uh, we want to uh, again publicly thank Joel Gertner for coming on to our show there. Uh, yeah, we didn't thank get you, our Joel. normal. Yes, we didn't get our normal plugs out of the way, uh, so we might as well get into that right now. This Sunday, it's the most exciting night for wrestling fans all over the world. As yes, this Sunday is the start of the G1 climax. Two o'clock in the morning <laughs> Eastern Time, eleven p- p.m. Uh, Pacific, I believe, on uh, New Japan World, which I'm now subscribed to. Brian is not. Sorry. Yes. Well, Brian, what are you doing Sunday night? Working. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. If you want, I, and like I said, I believe it's at 2 in the morning Eastern Time. If you want, I will graciously give you my uh, username and password to New Japan World, and you can log on and watch the first night of the G1 Climax. How does that sound? All right. Well, we'll see. Possibly. Definitely. You know what else is happening Sunday? Battleground, which means it's a a WWE pay-per-view, no matter how useless it is. We're going to be back Sunday night at 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we're going to run down Battleground. I'm going to preview the G1 while Brian nods his head and goes, really, that's the name of Japanese wrestlers? Uh, (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Japanese wrestlers like AJ Styles and Michael Elgin. Um, And also, um, next Wednesday, we're going extreme. We're going to go to Hardcore Heaven 2000, and that's what we're going to be reviewing next week. And at some point in the future, um, we're going to be, well, at least I am going to be doing a... Compare and contrast of the four major streaming uh, sites. We're gonna, I'm gonna compare and contrast the WWE Network, uh, New Japan World, UFC Fight Pass, and uh, NWAClassics.com, which just uh, launched on July 4th. Our friend Bruce Tharp was on the show a few months ago. He's a great guy. Uh, and go check out NWAClassics.com. I'm haven't subscribed yet, but I'm going to actually, I think I'm going to subscribe tomorrow, um, and I'm going to tell you what that's all like. So we got that in the future. Yeah. Um, and by the way, speaking of Battleground, Brian, kind of, uh, kind of. the Ryback is injured. Oh, the Ryback, yes, yeah, sadly. you the Ryback got a staph infection of his right knee uh, during the tag match on uh, Monday, and so he's going to be out. Uh, he's going to be out. Don't know how long, but he's definitely out of the pay-per-view. As of right now, um, I don't know what's going to happen. They may just do Miz versus Big Show in a number one contenders match. Uh, let me go on WWE.com right now and see if there's anything. Uh, no, nope, it just says... Ryback was injured during his tag team match this past Monday. And how, well, let's see, how this affects the scheduled title defense. Let's see if they updated that. Because before they just said he just won't be wrestling. Uh, let's see, this is the weekend at Battleground. Update Ryback was diagnosed with a staph infection. 
He's admitted to medical facility. The intercontinental, okay, he tweeted. He tweeted a whole bunch. He tweeted some more. And we don't know what the match is going to be yet. Of course. Uh, so, yep. He tweeted a lot. Right at Ryback right 20. He had tweets. So, Brian, time for Tough Enough. Yes, Tough Enough. Yes. By the way, you know what the most, uh, uh, apparently the most liked thing I've ever typed on uh, Facebook, um, not SportsCenter, posted that uh, LeBron James won the LeBron James of the Year ESPY Award tonight. And so I commented, ooh, I heard he just edged out LeBron James. And 17 people so far have liked this. Nice, oh boy, nice. Yes. I just got done. I just got done watching uh, Miss Caitlyn Bruce Jenner receive her courageous award. So yes. The Arthur Ashe Courage Award, and it's just Caitlyn, yeah. not Caitlyn Bruce. Oh, I'm sorry, Caitlyn. Now, Brian, tell sure. me the truth. Did you watch Tough Enough? I, unfortunately, did not watch Tough Enough. I was going to watch it yesterday. However, my phone decided to take a shit on me Monday night. So, not only was I late for work yesterday morning, I have no cell phone until probably tomorrow the latest. So, yeah. Fun times in the uh, Brian Whitner household. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, also a couple days ago, I told you to have an opinion about something. And yeah. I said I didn't care what it. I said I didn't care what it was. I told yeah. you I want you to come on here and tell me an opinion, and I want you to tell me your opinion on something in the wrestling business that I want you to, you know, go more in depth into it than it's good or it's bad. Give me something, Brian. I want you. Uh, Sarah Lee got yelled at by Paige until she finally stopped fucking smiling. So if I have to yell at you, Brian. I'm going to get an opinion out of you. Give me an opinion, Brian. Well, I read earlier today that The Undertaker might be making his return to WWE this coming Sunday, possibly costing Brock Lesnar his WWE title title match. My opinion is that this probably will not happen. Um, I think that... um, Taker, Taker's been in this business now for many moons, and he should only make his appearance once a year because it's The Undertaker. Everyone looks forward to his once-a-year appearance around WrestleMania season. It's came and gone. Although I would like, I'd love to see a Lesnar-Undertaker match at SummerSlam, which we all know Undertaker will probably win. My opinion on the subject is to keep The Undertaker out until WrestleMania season rolls around. So you can have one last final match in Dallas, Texas. Now, Brian, I am Brian. If he does, that is my opinion. If he, uh, what's your opinion on if he does come back? What would you uh, would you like to see him wrestle Brock Lesnar? What would you like to see happen? Um, honestly, I wouldn't want to see him wrestle Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. I, okay, I who would you like to give, see? I see maybe give Bray Wyatt a rematch against. Uh, the Undertaker with Bray Wyatt winning to help boost his career, but he's in the middle of a Roman Reigns feud. So I can see my opinion is this Sunday WWE should have 
Brock Lesnar win the title and then set up Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. And then have your Seth Rollins-Randy Orton match, possibly, as an undercard match. Mm-hmm. So that was two minutes of Brian Whitner. Yes. If, if you would like, we can have a weekly segment on my opinion. I am planning on it. Nice. I want an opinion from you every... You know how much I hate sitting here and talking for 90 minutes by myself, and then when I take a breath, you go, I agree, or uh-huh? Hey, hey now, I'm usually, I'm usually not, I'm lately I haven't been like that, okay? Uh-huh. I agree. <sighs> so, episode four of Tough Enough, or as I labeled it, remember when this show was about wrestling training? Uh, we started, Daniel Bryan noted that every person he puts into the bottom three gets eliminated. Paige warned Sarah Lee, uh, that she's going to keep putting her in the bottom three every single week. And Hogan said that he wants someone specifically gone. And by the end of the show, we never found out who that was. Maybe he already had watched... Uh, the clips, but we never actually found out, and Brian ran away here for a second. I'm assuming he's going to call back. But, uh, yeah, so we go into the show. Uh, last week, uh, Diana quit, and she was replaced by Chelsea, who, if you don't recall, Chelsea uh, was on Raw just last year, actually. Um, she's a student of Lance Storms, and she was on Raw basically in the Claire Lynch role, uh, that she had slept with Daniel Bryan. She was Daniel Bryan's physical therapist. And uh, she Daniel Bryan cheated on Brie with her. And that ended up going absolutely nowhere. Um, speaking of going absolutely nowhere, when everyone got back to the house, uh, they saw her and she was so cocky and getting at everyone's nerves. And then we never heard anyone comment about it again. A real argument broke out between Amanda and Gabby where they bitched at each other over who is faker. I swear to you, they argued about their each other's fake boobs. We then got promo practice, which I was kind of looking forward to. And, you know, they showed clips of all these great promos. They showed The Rock, they showed McFoley, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair... And they also showed Wade Barrett. And, you know, no offense to Wade, but he is so far uh, down that list, it's not even funny. Brian literally just remembered that he works tonight, so he's got to go. And so Brian's not going to be on the show anymore. Great, so it's just me. Brian sucks. Did you ever ever tell you guys that? Brian really, 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 really sucks. And I hope he listens to this part of the show where I tell him he really, really, really sucks, just so he knows that I am, in fact, joking. Um, (laughs) So uh, Wade Barrett shows up for three minutes with Wade Barrett, uh, because, yes, he actually lasted, the guest lasted three minutes. So, you know, two weeks ago we had one minute with Roman Reigns. Last week we had two minutes with Seth Rollins. This week, three minutes of Wade Barrett. So, you know, by the 10th episode, you know, we're going to have 10 minutes of John Cena. And I think I just cursed the show. Um, We literally got highlights, two to four seconds, of each person cutting a promo on Wade Barrett. 
they went through, I think there's 10 people left. They went through all 10 of them in less than 30 seconds. Um, and then they showed Wade basically telling them all off um, or telling them where they can approve. Um, and that was Wade. So then they were taken to an improv stage where they were not there to watch improv, but to take part in the improv. And Chris Jericho was there for tonight's challenge, a promo contest, um, where each uh, of the ten people were uh, put off in groups of two and to face off one-on-one. So we had Mata versus Josh. Mata is intense, but he could barely understand what the heck he was talking about when he started roaring. Uh, Josh cut a crappy promo, so Mata won. Uh, Chelsea cut a horrible promo and lost to Georgia. Um, Tanner, Tanner's entire promo was that uh, he wins every contest, or at least he won every contest. And so Patrick cursed at him, and Patrick told him he didn't even know who Mick Foley was. Um, and this led to Patrick winning. Um, Amanda told Gabby that she's a bitch, and cursing was apparently how you won in this thing. Uh, so Amanda beat Gabby. And then in the main event of promo practice, it was Sarah Lee, our Caitlin, versus ZZ. And Sarah Lee cannot stop smiling. Like, seriously. This entire sh- this entire season so far, Sarah Lee gets yelled at, screamed at, been told she's doing horrible, and she just can't stop smiling. She's there trying to cut a serious promo, telling ZZ to bow down to her, and she couldn't stop smiling and was bursting out laughing while telling him this. ZZ pointed out she was way too nice, um, and that was enough. So Jericho came over and told Sarah that it pisses him off that she is still here. Jericho yelled at her to prove that she belongs here and screamed at her to stop being so nice. And while he's screaming at her, she can't stop smiling. Jericho's like right in her face, yelling at her to stop smiling. And she kept smiling. And so then we go back to the live judges where Paige is pissed about Sarah Lee's total nonstop smiling. Um, And the winners of the contest were Patrick and Georgia. Now, the uh, vote was by applause. And so since Patrick did the most pantomiming to the crowd, Patrick was considered the winner. Uh, Mata got pissed. Mata said that Patrick was just riling up the crowd while Mata actually cut a promo And this led to the two of them throwing water on each other. Uh, Josh got involved, and so Josh took the side of Mata, and they were arguing back and forth with Patrick. And then we got to the point where Mata and Patrick were literally pushing ZZ into each other because ZZ's trying to break these two up because they're going face-to-face, and they looked like they were going to butt heads. And finally, they were separated. They all went their own separate ways. And then... Uh, we went back to the house where the girls talked about how Gabby loses every single contest. Remember when this show was about wrestling training? Um, we get back to the house again. Sarah Lee was basically being told off by everybody. And 
She fi- and it looks like she was about to break. Um, and it looked like she was ready to just snap on somebody. And Gabby, uh, they pointed out that Gabby just keeps holding back and doesn't even try to do anything the whole time. Uh, Tanner and Chelsea began flirting with each other because, you know, this is a reality show and has nothing to do with wrestling. Um, Tanner and Chelsea flirted with each other. It led to them kissing, uh, which Tanner claimed uh, that he kissed her because he slipped. You know, he slipped and Chelsea's lips broke his fall. Uh, Paige and Hogan talked about how weak the kiss was while Daniel Bryan loved it. At this point, the highlight of the show was that Sharknado 3 debuts next Wednesday, July 22nd at 9 p.m. Eastern. We then get our next contest, which I thought was going to be taking a body slam. And in retrospect, thank God it wasn't. But ended up being uh, taking a shoulder, taking a bump off off a shoulder block and then being picked up for a body slam. After four weeks of training... This should not be that hard. You know, maybe I'm wrong. I know I haven't done any wrestling training myself. But I'd imagine after four weeks, you should be able to pick up your opponent, pick up somebody and not drop them on their freaking heads. Uh, Marcus Louis, who, by the way, in the uh, it's been 10 months. He still hasn't grown his hair back. Uh, but he was there basically showing everyone how to do these moves. Um, and the story of this was that Sarah Lee sucks. Um, she was deadweighting everybody. She couldn't go up properly. Uh, and every time someone was able to get her up, she was putting her hands in the wrong spots. So they almost they kept almost dropping her on top of her head. Um, at one point, Amanda and Gabby, who hate each other, uh, did the spot together and Lita praised them for not shooting on each other during this, re- during this wrestling match, during this wrestling training, Billy Gunn then snapped at Sarah Lee for being Sarah Lee. She cannot stop fucking smiling while she's being yelled at. And on top of that, she's endangering the health and the safety of everyone else because she can't, she can't take, it correctly. She can't pick anybody up. She can't go up for a slam correctly. And someone was going to be dropped on their head and break their neck. And Billy Gunn was screaming at her for it. Um, Chelsea and Josh were declared the winners. Patrick, who, by the way, just lost the contest, claimed that this wasn't a contest. And in case all this bitching at each other wasn't enough for you, right after uh, Tough Enough is Total Divas on E, where for 60 more minutes, we have more bitching and moaning and yelling and reality show stuff. All the girls pointed out, they got back to the house, where all the girls pointed out that Sarah gets yelled at for smiling all the time. Sarah Lee began crying, and she couldn't even stop smiling while crying. It's seriously like one of the most ridiculous things you've ever seen. Like this girl, like, She's being screamed at, and she's smiling about it the whole damn time. She's crying because she's sad that she's being yelled at, and she's smiling. I don't know. What's up with this girl? Um, So Jericho defended himself for yelling at Sarah by saying he wasn't yelling, but his whole explanation was he was yelling at her. 
Uh, we go live, and for the first time ever, for about a second and a half, Sarah wasn't smiling on camera. And then she learned to stop not smiling as she suddenly realized she was on camera, and the big smile came back. Uh, Paige yelled at Sarah Lee some more. Uh, at this point, I was thinking Paige was her mom. She was screaming that she's not mad at Sarah. She's just disappointed. Tut, tut, tut. Sarah finally flipped out and told people to stop yelling at her, which caused Paige to yell louder, which broke the satellite for a few seconds. And when they came back, they were still yelling. Hogan got pissed, yelling at Patrick for saying things like Ultimate Warrior's gone and Hogan's retired, so this makes him great, blah, 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 blah. Hogan said that his promo sucked. Uh, Jericho pointed out that he won the challenge, and Hogan said that he still sucked and is a shitty promo. You need to show something other than being a smart mark. And that, yes, they said that on television. Jericho made Joshua spell sarcophagus which uh, was because Josh used sarcophagus during his promo. And by the way, the spelling of sarcophagus, S-A-R-C-O-P-H-A-G-U-S. Um, and so the bottom three, Sarah Lee, of course, uh, Tanner, and the person Daniel Bryan put in, Gabby. So I think at this point you could tell who's going home. Um, they were then supposed to cut promos before the voting, you're supposed to cut promos on the person that put them in the bottom three. And Gabby's entire promo was talking about how she's how her heart is here and she wants to be the first Brazilian diva because she's athletic and beautiful and has a great personality. The one thing I noted, her Brazilian accent sure became more pronounced during this promo than at any other time ever on this show. So who knows? Um, Tanner stared at the floor the whole time while cutting a bad promo on Hogan. Obviously, he was intimidated. Sarah, in this, her big opportunity, Sarah began laughing and smiling as Paige is staring a hole in her. So Paige literally got out of her chair, walked around, and got in her face and ordered her to cut a promo. And Sarah finally snapped and like she started timidly and suddenly she threw everything out the window and just flipped out almost on Paige uh, and turned it into a promo about how the reason why Paige keeps putting her in the final three is because Paige is afraid of her and Paige is afraid of getting into the of possibly getting into the ring with her one day and finally after all this Paige gave her um, some applause, and the whole arena, the full set university, gave her some applause. And this led to the vote, where Sarah got like 80% of the vote. And I'm going to bet she probably got 80% of the vote had she even not done it either way, had she not done the great promo. But, of course, the person voted off, because Daniel Bryan tells us what to do every week, is Gabby. And so no more Brazilian girl, no more hot Brazilians. That's it. Now this show, if you think I'm just being mean, that you think this show's the greatest thing ever, number one, I don't know how many people actually think this is the greatest show ever. I haven't heard anyone mention it at all. However, 
The rating down 20% this week, 977,000 viewers. Now, you can sit there and tell me, well, Emerson, the Major League Baseball All-Star game was on at the same time. People are probably watching that. Well, Total Divas, which also went up against the Major League Baseball All-Star game, their ratings were up 6% from last week. Now, who knows? But, yeah, Total Divas up. Uh, not think Total Divas is even a good show. I don't know. I don't watch the damn thing. But people are obviously watching that. People are obviously not watching Tough Enough. And that's all we can say. So that's this week on Tough Enough. So while I'm at it, uh, you know, since Brian's not here and Brian doesn't give a crap about Japanese wrestling, uh, like I said, the G1 Climax starts this Sunday night. Uh, but before I get into that, let me play a musical interlude here. Let's find something I haven't played in a while. Arriba la raza all day, every day. Bow, wow, wow, yippee, yo, yippee, yay. Oil of Olay, all day, every day. Lucha Leaf Braids to the WCW. Canal, the gente, straight up loving you. From the order SA to the yes, yes, y'all. Who wants to step to my homie Kate Dog? Get slammed on the mat, get your whole head cracked. The way the man slam vocals on the field, the soul track. Step into the ring yelling, Oil of Olay. singing Conan's rap. Uh, so G1 this Sunday night in Sapporo. Uh, let me see. What are the main event matches? Uh, Katsuyori Shibata versus AJ Styles and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Koto Ibushi. Uh, those are the matches to uh, kick off. Oh, the, they're the main events. Um, as they're this year, um, they're doing like 19 shows, I believe. I'm not counting them. But basically, uh, they're going back and forth on which block is which night. Uh, so the first night, it's A block, the Styles Tanahashi block. And then the second night on the 23rd, uh, it's the B block, and they go back and forth. And the first half of the show, it's just a bunch of tag matches, eight mans, ten mans, etc. Um, and then the after intermission, they then will do the five uh, G1 matches. And... In a way, I like it because, in theory, it should lead to the guys getting more rest, getting uh, more refreshed, and getting less injuries, in theory. Um, and then, so, uh, <laughs> easy for me to say, but, and part of me is like, I kind of, I, I'll kind of miss last year, was like every single match, and, and you know, every year was like this, where like every single match from beginning to end, it's G1, 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 G1. 
And if I had the time, I'd actually go back and watch all of last year's G1 if I could. I can't. I don't have the time to, unfortunately. But um, So that's looking good. And I think most of us have figured out that uh, the finals are probably going to come down uh, probably Nakamura in the B block since Okada is the IWGP champion, uh, taking on either AJ or Tanahashi. Tanahashi's my bet. They may go AJ and well, I don't know. They, I guess we'll see. And you know, they like to push someone new in these things, but I don't know who would be that they'd like push. Not really brand new, but uh, I guess I could see Naito, Tetsuya Naito going pretty far in the A block. Um, in the B block, if I was going to pick somebody, maybe uh, Tomohiro Ishii. Um, let's see here. On the final night, the final two nights, um, it's Makabe versus Ibushi and Tanahashi versus Styles um, as the end of the A block. So I think there's a possibility Makabe might be right there at the end. And then on the 15th at Sumo Hall, it's Yuji Nagata versus Hiroki Goto and Nakamura versus Okada. Um, you know, the way it's set up, it seems like there's not going to be too many surprises. I'd like to think, you know, you might get some, but just the way it's set up like that, I can't, I can't imagine them just doing exactly what you think they're going to do. And that's with uh, those four battling out on top. And not that it's a bad thing. I love watching those four wrestle as much as the next guy. Um, and so that's going to do it for this week, I guess. Um, Sunday, like I said, we're going to be back doing, uh, Battleground, and I'll try to harass Brian to watching the G1. Uh, next Wednesday, we'll be back doing Hardcore Heaven 2000, and more Tough Enough ranting, and more G1 ranting, and Everything's going to go from there, and we'll talk to you in seven days, and uh, adios.